Hello and welcome to Entmoot, the Battle Games in Middle-Earth podcast all about the Middle-Earth strategy battle game from Games Workshop. I'm Harry and this is episode 29 and Out of the Frying Pan is catching up with me, the Out of the Frying Pan podcast. If you haven't heard it, uh, they started way after me and they're already on episode 23 so I feel like I need to put an episode out into the ether just to make sure that I can edge my way ahead as the more experienced uh, more kind of well well more episode filled podcast i suppose anyway yes you're listening to me and entmoot and it's back for another episode sadly no tournaments this time as uh, as has been the case for many uh, entmoots but that doesn't matter we've still got plenty of stuff to talk about um, obviously lots and lots has been happening in the intervening uh, weeks months i don't know how how long it's been since the last episode but uh, the last episode from memory was a quite a mammoth one uh, with the patreon supporters that I have. Uh, if you're interested in that, go to patreon.com slash battlegames in Middle Earth. You'll be able to support, uh, support the podcast and stuff on there. And um, But we had, had quite a l- lengthy lengthy podcast. I think it was the longest I've ever done. Uh, two or three hours nearly. Um, lots of different exciting stuff, so feel free to go back and listen to that. Um, but you don't want to hear about that because that was last time. You want to hear about this episode. So obviously in the intervening weeks there's been the re- a few releases. What have we had? I feel like AMM might have been released since the last time we spoke. There's been the Quest of the Ringbearer book that um, came out just slightly before I released um, the last podcast. So there's lots lots going on in the world uh, of, of Middle-earth strategy battle game. Lots more going on in the world, if I'm honest. But hey-ho, uh, let's move on from that and uh, let's enjoy what we've got for the meantime, because here in the UK, uh, lockdown is returns the sequel no one wanted lockdown part two but anyway it's here and we have to deal with it so that's that but in the meantime in the intervening weeks i have managed to record some content uh, which is brilliant news for you because uh, you get something to listen to for at least an hour or so probably of uh, the first week, uh, few weeks of lockdown so um, coming up later in the episode we've got um, some Quest of the Ringbearer stuff so I've wanted to come up with an idea um, I know if you're like me you probably have read through that Quest of the Ringbearer book and gone, you know what, these these scenarios are really cool, but am I ever going to play all of them? Probably not. Do I have the time? Maybe not. Do I have the inclination? Yes, sort of, but there's a lot of effort, there's a lot of scenery involved, there's all this sort of stuff. And I know lots of people are talking about the book at the moment, and... and um, it's very easy to you know get have chats and talks about the you know the uh, the legendary legions and things like that. I feel like that's something better left for the more competitive uh, minded people out there. You know, you, Green Dragon podcast. I know they will be looking into all of the gubbins uh, related to the legendary legions that are involved in the Quest of the Ringbearer. I know Zorpa Zorpa has already done lots of stuff about that. Top Table Gaming, I think, has done some videos as well. Loads and loads of different people are uh, talking about all the legendary legions. And I know Battle Streams in Middle earth are uh, tackling uh, slowly going to be tackling the scenarios as well over a very long period of time so i kind of wanted to do something something that so that you can live vicariously i guess for those of you who don't have uh, ready ready access to uh, the scenarios the models um, the uh, uh, someone to play with uh, i thought you know what it'd be really nice to crack through a few of the scenarios and give my honest appraisals and uh, my gaming partner tim's uh, honest appraisal uh, tim who has been on the podcast before a few times local uh, local chap great great lord of rings guy in the local scene sort uh, organizing the slow grow in lincoln once more uh, after i did it last time um, uh, anyway, Tim will be back later on in the podcast. But the idea I had uh, is based on an old film podcast I used to listen to many, many years ago called Seen Unseen. And this idea is basically, I, I, I when I read some of these scenarios in the book, I think that looks amazing. I can't wait to play it. Other ones, I think that looks a bit boring. I'm, I have no interest in doing that. And I bet that you have a similar opinion um, about some of them as I do. Or maybe you have a completely different opinion. So based on that kind of idea, a review therefore has different context. So if, for example, I aren't excited, I'm not excited about a certain scenario, and then uh, I play it and I'm bowled over by it and it's amazing, then you might be like, you know what, actually, I should really try that one, even though perhaps you weren't that bothered either. And vice versa. If I was not particularly excited about something or, you know, whatever, um, 
oh, sorry, I was really excited about something and, and end up being pretty disappointed by it, then it gives you an idea of maybe if you don't have that time, you don't have that extra, you know, uh, effort that you can maybe put into uh, getting the, the certain models or whatever it is. Maybe you can go, actually, that one, maybe, maybe I should skip that one uh, when I do play them uh, through next time. So that's the idea of the podcast. That's going to be happening later on. So we've got seen-unseen scenarios. So we'll have a little bit of pre, uh, sort of preceding each game uh, and then a bit post-review, uh, sort of a battle. Uh, not a bat rep because that's obviously different, but um, just so you get an idea of what's what and an honest appraisal, I think. I, I hope, obviously, only playing it once, but still, something like an honest appraisal. That's coming up later in the podcast, which means there will be no, for the first time ever, and I'm sorry to say this, there will be no lists in this li- in this episode. <gasps> I know, I know what you're saying. This is this is horrifying. You know, there's no list building. That is what I love about the hobby. I love it as well. But no, not this time. This time it's just going to be all scenario-based stuff. So with that in mind, we're going to skip straight on to the next segment of the podcast, which is... Riddles in the Dark. I Yes, that's right. Riddles in the Dark. This is the time when I play a small clip from the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit films and you have to guess who speaks next and what they say. Simple, right? Well, not really, especially when it's as difficult as last week's clip, which sounded like this. The clue is in the swooshing of clothes there, just so you know. So uh, let's have a look at some of the emails that have arrived into the entmootpodcast at gmail.com inbox. So you'd be welcome to uh, send in emails of any different um, comments or uh, basically anything you'd like uh, to to get in touch with the podcast. And, you know, sometimes I'm absolutely inundated with guesses and and people who are just uh, getting in touch about various different things. Um, Sometimes... I'm really not inundated with guesses and it's been over two weeks since the last podcast and usually that gives a good amount of time to actually give people some guesses. So that was the clip that you heard already and one, canon one person. I don't know whether it's just uh, too difficult. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe you're just getting really bored um, and you're not bothering. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe over the lockdown period you'll have some more guesses. But either way, um, thank you very much to Dan Broxholm, who always gets in touch without fail. Uh, it says he's got to admit defeat this time. Have no idea. So fair play. And also says, well done on your Patreon success. You deserve a very nice touch with the giveaways. I thought I'd won when you said Dan. Oh, sorry, Dan. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm doing some giveaways on the old uh, Patreon. There'll be another one soon. I gave away uh, Build a Pony last time. Exciting stuff. Really cool. Um, and I believe it went to Dan Slobodian, who if you... Have, he, he's been on the podcast before and also uh, writes or is one of the contributors to the uh, Drawn Combat blog. So uh, search that out and uh, uh, Dan, well done. Uh, Next time, I think we'll have another giveaway soon. Very, very soon, I'm sure. So join on the Patreon if you want to get involved in that. There you go, that's Dan. That's the only person who's got in touch this time. Sadly, the Riddle in the Dark might have conquered you. And I'm I'm kind of tempted here to just carry it on for another week, uh, another episode anyway. But that's not very fun, is it? Because you don't want to hear it um, repeatedly. Um, And if you... If nobody gets in touch, then maybe it's maybe it's just too hard. So in in that case, I will reveal the answer, and it is of course, Aomer, Aomer. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, here's the moment. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you see what you see what I'm getting at there. There's a swoosh of cloak. The music does. I must admit, I'll be completely honest. Um, since it's been a couple of weeks, I actually when I listened to just the clip uh, before uh, recording the podcast, 
I actually wasn't sure myself. I couldn't remember what I'd chosen. Um, I honestly couldn't. And then, of course, when I hear the swish of the cloak there, and you remember, ah, yes, that's Eowyn walking. You sort of get that moment where there's a sort of gap in the conversation with Grimmer and Eomer, uh, and you see Eowyn turning uh, uh, in the background, and uh, Grimmer stares at her. And then uh, then Eomer comes in with that great line. But that's it no winners no winners this week so uh, sad sad but fantastic of course uh, I, I, there was a little clue in the sense that uh, AMR had just been released um, when I uh, did the Riddles in the Dark section of the podcast I can't remember um how long I, how long before the podcast was released that I actually did the Riddles in the Dark bit. Sometimes it's all completely backwards and so on. So it may have actually not been as relevant as I remember. Uh, I think actually, yeah, by the time that I'd released the podcast, it would have been the quest of the ring bearer, which was the forefront of people's minds. So apologies if that wasn't a good enough clue. But either way, well done to absolutely no one, unless you didn't get in touch. And if you did and you knew the answer, then feel free to contact entmootpodcast at gmail.com and uh, say I got it right honestly I would have known that feel free absolutely feel free I'd love to get, hear from you and hear your comments uh, about the podcast in general I'll, I'll, uh, I always like to give them and give anyone a shout out uh, during this point, period of the podcast so with that in mind let's set you another challenge this is this week's well this episode's Riddle in the Dark oh it's incredibly short isn't it isn't that just is that a bit too short Ooh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Let's hear it again. Okay, one more time. Who speaks next? And what do they say? Yeah, there we go. Okay, so that's it. So, uh, I mean, there might have been some clues in the uh, the podcast and the, the date that the podcast was released and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but get in touch anyway. Uh, you can hear sort of the sounds of the, the creatures in the background. Uh, I'll stop. I'll stop talking because I'm giving away too much clear, too much information, and I'm sure you'll get it now. But get in touch if you think you know who speaks next and what they say. Entmootpodcast at gmail dot com. If you think you know entmootpodcast at gmail dot com. If you think you know the answer to the riddle in the dark. Now. I mentioned earlier, we're not doing a tournament, but we are doing something exciting. Tim will be in the podcast in a few minutes' time uh, talking with me about the quest of the ring bearer. So the idea is seen unseen reviews. So I am going to, uh, uh, with Tim, have a discussion about each scenario. Then we're going to play it. And then you're going to hear our honest appraisals just straight after the dice have finished rolling and the last wound has been taken uh, or the last uh, scenario condition has been met. That's the idea. Hopefully this brings you some something useful. I'll be putting up some pictures on the Facebook page as well, so check that out. Just search out Entmoot on Facebook. And hopefully you get something out of this, because I know I'd really enjoy this if I hadn't been doing it myself. I'd love for someone to do this for all of the other uh, scenario books but if I'm honest I, I do I, it would be something I'd quite like to do I must say but I just don't have the models for everything there's just so many models um, this one I can get away with because I've got a lot of the models for uh, the Fellowship of the Ring so anyway without much further ado let's go on an adventure through the quest of the Ring Bearers scenarios <laughs> I'm already late! Late for what? I'm going on an adventure! So, Farmer Maggot's Crop, that's the first scenario of the Quest of the Ring Bearer, and of course it's the, the first one that Tim and I will be playing. Let's introduce you to Tim. Hello, Tim. Hello. <laughs> you may have heard Tim before on the podcast. I think uh, you were the first person to play a game against me after the lockdown with the... I think it was I had Ring Raids and you had the Fellowship of the Ring. That was it. If it was Fellowship, it was probably me. Yeah, exactly. And and we've had this conversation before about the idea of playing some scenarios and, and getting some proper thematic gameplay. And this is the first time I've ever done it, certainly with you. But um, have you managed to play any scenarios before? Uh, yeah, we've played quite a few of the smaller old Barlin's Tomb scenarios from White Dwarf of ages gone by. Um, small model count is nice, small table size is nice just to play with my children because you know they don't want a complicated rule set and they want to recreate stuff they've read in the book or seen in the films. So it's, uh, it's nice to be able to fit lots of small games in to try and achieve a a scenario rather than just spending a long time generating a complicated list and being ultra competitive. This is um, 
I think sort of narrative play is a lot more potentially a lot more fun. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because I mean I have uh, historically never really played narrative play. I mean, I've played the odd one here and there. Um, I've actually played a couple of these, uh, the ones that are going to be in the podcast, um, just as kind of experiments really in the past. But largely it's been about tournaments uh, because they're the only way I can get games or uh, used to be able to get games. So it's great to be able to delve into the uh, the book. Now I said early on in the podcast we're going to have a bit of a prejudge of each scenario. So Farmer Maggot's crop um, just. To give people a general idea, if you haven't got the Crest of the Ringbearer book and been reading through it, which I'd imagine most people have, and essentially it's the hobbits trying to steal crops uh, or bits uh, of crop from Farmer Maggot. There's a little six inch by four farm in the middle, there's a hobbit hole uh, off the centre uh, uh, onto the northern board edge, and there's a little stash pile, and basically the hobbits have to run backwards and forwards get the uh, the plunder from the uh, from the field and i think it's five was it five that we have to gather uh, what was it five yeah five plunder tokens um and they have to be stopped by farmer maggot and his dogs um who have special rules in terms of being wounded they don't die really they just run back to the kennel and things like that so tim first of all what did you think when you saw farmer maggot's crop is it the sort of scenario you think this is going to work i really like the idea I really like the theme what did you think yeah, um, I think having flicked through the book, all of them um, look like they'll work. Uh, how it'll how it'll actually play on the table is is entirely different. Some of the the scenarios are, are very quick and very swift. This looks like a little bit more involved. Um, it's nice to see the different way the wounds are going to work on the hobbits, um, and it's nice, you know, because ultimately, if the hobbits lose all their wounds. Um, they just flee with no stash. Uh, they still go on to the next scenario, um, just slightly bitten and maybe a little bit muddy. Uh, yeah. I like that idea, yes, because they have three wounds, no might, no will, no fate. It's, it's just three wounds each, straightforward game. And, and I do like, I like the way that they've tweaked the rules a little bit in this one. I do wonder um, how easy it'll be or how hard it'll be because um, wounding a few hobbits, will that be easy? I don't know. And I like the idea... Of, of the I like the, the fact that it's included. I'm not. I can't promise to say that I'm massively excited about the the, the game, but it seems like a lot of fun, and I, I I love that. So hopefully that that gives you a sense of um, what I'm thinking beforehand. So hopefully that'll colour your review. So is that the same sort of thing for you? You're excited, but not you know. <laughs> um, yeah. Before we sort of looked at the the new book, I sort of flicked through the scenarios and of the early sort of scenarios um, up into sort of Weathertop. I'm not, you know, I'm not massively excited about this one, but it's it's got Farmer Magatin, who I suppose I haven't really seen a lot of play before. And uh, with a few more wounds, uh, Merry and Pippin have got a bit of take one for the team potential, <laughs> a little bit more than normal. So, yeah mediumly excited about this one I'd say yeah we, we you, you've written down the first seven scenarios and ranked them um, between one to seven and Farmer Maggot comes slap bang in the middle at number four in terms of interest to play so there you go that summarises it we'll come back after we've had a game Frodo Mary it's Frodo Baggins hello Frodo get off Frodo what's the meaning of this hold this You've been in the Farmer Maggot's crop! There you go. That's uh, that's Maggot, uh, Farmer Maggot's crop, and I'm proud to say it might be a podcast first. I've won a game. Hey, uh, so I was operating as Farmer Maggot and uh, his three hounds, and Tim took uh, control of the hobbits. First of all, um, you probably tell from the the jolly nature of my voice, this was this was good fun, wasn't it? It was surprisingly good fun, and actually for what looked at the beginning to be a very, very quick game, it's taken a surprisingly large amount of time. Yeah, um, I, I didn't actually look at the clock before we set uh, started. It must have been, it might have been an hour, was it nearly an hour? It can't have been that much, 45 minutes? Probably with setup and preamble, it was going to be getting on for an hour, but you know, there was certainly a good 30 minutes of actual dice rolling involved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because we obviously set up the terrain and we had chat beforehand. But uh, so uh, just to explain how it all panned out. So the dogs, um, it's, there's actually quite a, a smart little uh, mechanic in this that the dogs can launch off. But then you have to decide because the, the, the dogs 
basically respawn from the kennel. Um, you have to kind of decide early on um, what happens where with the respawning dogs. Do you send Maggot to hold on to the kennel, which allows the dogs to respawn from there, or do you send Maggot in to chop up? And I think I had a good balance there, because I'd sent the dogs in, sent them basically blustering in, trying to get as many wounds off the hobbits as early as possible, uh, with a view to then... Uh, just basically letting them die um, and respawn later and I think that works out quite well because I ended up um, only losing one dog permanently but actually getting to respawn them all at least once yeah um, my original tactic was let a couple of the hobbits sort of get as many tokens early on try and get a load back and then whichever hobbits were sort of starting to flag would be in charge of being the meat shield um, but once Maggot waded in as well, they were just like cut to ribbons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were. They really were. I mean, you got four plunder tokens out of the possible five to end the game, so you were really close. But I think it was. It was basically once once they they'd lost all the dog, all the dogs launched back out of the kennel again. Uh, Maggot just slightly behind, and then a couple of rolls went this way or that way. I didn't even uh, spend any might. I only had one, but um, didn't spend need to spend any might because once Maggot chopped in with his two attacks, he just launched through the <laughs> through the hobbits, cutting swathes through the uh, the poor guys. But um, it did work well, quite. Your your meat shield strategy did work relatively well. It, uh, you had I think it was Mary who held off the uh, the the dogs pretty quickly, but. It worked out. I, I thought it was quite a good one because it, it all did come down to a, a turn late on where you had enough um, plunder tokens. You had four out of the five to make it seem like this could, could go either way. Very early on, it seemed like, huh, this is a real easy stroll in the park for the Hobbits. Um, but really, although we're on a four by four board, we've only really used a small fraction of it. Mm. It's not been a particularly tactically astute game. A lot has come down to rolling of priority and then just simply who wins the fight um and you know i was i was a little bit disappointed that i didn't get to throw any stones because the movement of the speed of the dogs is so high um and you've got to keep moving those hobbits so yeah i think i think, I think you, you get you make it hit on a good point there because you want the hobbits to be moving straight to the field um there's a, what is it a, it's about a six inch or so gap between the field and the plunder token so yeah. so you basically they've got two turns to get to the field no matter what really and that's going in a direct line but you had to try and hop over fences and things like that in the middle so it, it, it could be quite difficult to stop and sh- throw a pebble and actually, even if you do did throw a pebble, it would mean that the dogs just end up respawning anyway. So you just kind of have to launch through and hope, like you say, that you win the win the combats. And and I think in the end, because um, because the dogs do just come back and they're so quick to get back from from the centre, it does mean that the hobbits are kind of facing an uphill battle. Certainly, once the dogs collide. No, the defining moment when it changed over was when that um, I think it was the dog lit over the boundary on the natural six and was able to get into combat that turn rather than just get annoyingly in and that was weight of numbers and it took the hobbit down because you know with three hobbits against three dogs fair enough but i was trying to engineer situations where i was trying to take out or wound one dog a turn to send them back and when that six was rolled it was just ugh. yes because you'd you, at that point you'd had basically i think you had combats with uh, just one dog um, on another, uh, sorry, one hobbit on one dog. So it seemed like a fairly even fight. And actually, in those situations, although it's easy, it's easier for me to wound you. It it doesn't matter so much because you've got three wounds, and I I've only got I've got two turns before they actually get back in. It's about two moves from the kennel to the centre. So you're quite right. Yeah, so I, I decided to leap the fence and hope for the best and got the six. So I could charge Frodo with a second dog, which just stacked it in my favour. And I think I took took him out. Did I was it that turn I took him out, or it simply took a couple of ter- uh, wounds off. I think so because you can only pick up the um the treasure token i suppose when you're not in combat i needed to even though it was not advantageous i needed to get one hobbit in combat with two dogs or two dog you know two um farmer maggot uh, characters um and leave a hobbit spare to pick up the token Mm -hmm. because while they were slogging it out in the field i couldn't pick up you know the objective so you kind of had to play a little bit heart in the mouth and they didn't win any of the fights or i don't think they won any of the the roll-offs yes maybe no, that, one roll-off I th- yeah you didn't get very many of that i think i probably got more more like 70 80 percent of the roll-offs definitely and so if 
would you change anything about the scenario to make it more balanced? Because of, often these scenarios are designed with a with an, a victor in mind. There's always one that's got a slight edge. But in order to balance it out for a fun experience, is there anything you would change? Because I've got an idea, but I want to see what you think first. No, I, I think having only played it once, I think maybe if I played it five or six times and the hobbits were getting trounced all the time, I'd be a little bit more inclined to change things. But for a first go, I don't mind not winning. <laughs> I think the only thing I thought was that if... When the the whole thing about um, not being ch- if you're charged while uh, someone drops the uh, someone drops the loot basically if you get charged and th- that could mean especially in a game where you don't have much might that you keep dropping your loot and keep getting charged if you're unlucky with the with the rolls and I don't think it happened a lot of times because you managed to drop it a couple of times and just pick it straight back up and drop it off but I thought actually that could if if you just hold on to that loot then it, m- it means you give you a chance to at least get closer to the objective and it might have swung things but but generally like we say i think that was that was a really fun scenario i didn't expect to enjoy it anywhere near as much as i did i think it was i think it's great fun and i i really i would recommend it the one thing i think we would maybe be worth redoing it again is because if you're going to put a picture of this our field in the middle is uh you know like a a, a thick carpet depth piece depth piece of of field so when you've got a hobbit in the field it does add an extra inch of height to them i think perhaps with the barriers around the field blocking line of sight you could use that to the hobbit's advantage a little bit more i'm not quite sure how that played out with charges and things yeah you're quite right we, if we probably should just have if you're in the field you can't be seen something like that because then you're hiding in the in the bush uh, which makes a lot more sense we've added the snazzy field here and it looks really really ace rather than a piece of paper with just field written on it i think if it was a piece of paper with field on it then you'd have to do a lot more maneuvering with the dogs almost to try and get around there and then i could have rolled lots of natural sixes jumping over the barriers and pegging it back but good good point good point well made well there you go that's scenario one uh, farmer maggots field I, I genuinely would recommend it and i think the other recommendation i'd have is you really, really don't need a four, four foot by four foot board. It really, in the scheme of things, you could probably have the Hobbit House as the edge of the board, yeah. the kennel as the edge of the board. You probably only really need about uh, just two foot by two, two foot. By two and you don't actually use any of the rest of it, really. So uh, there you go. That's Farmer Maggot's Crop, the first scenario of Quest of the Ring Bearer. Right, let's move on to the second game. Oh, that was close. I think I've broken something. Trust a brandy buck and a took. What? That was just a detour. A shortcut. A shortcut to what? Mushrooms. So we're on to the second uh, scenario in the quest of the ring bearer. Shortcuts make long delays. So this is Gildor and Glorian, the hobbits. Uh, not all hobbits, though. Only three of them, Frodo, Sam and Pippin. Uh, I think this is a, based on the book where Merry has gone ahead to Crick Hollow or something along those lines. Tim, is that right? Uh, my children have told me that is the case, but I haven't <laughs> read it, so I wouldn't know. Well, there you go. And there are three ring raids in the forests, um, and the deployment is slightly unusual. Um, I've got a ring wraith on uh, the middle of two, uh, sorry, three board edges, and you've got Gildor in the middle of uh, one board edge, and the hobbits are deployed along a fence or hedgerow. Uh, it's a fence for us, a hedgerow in the book, um, and they're, what, 12 inches on from one side, so they potentially very close to one of the ring raids. The aim of the game is to get Frodo off the board uh, and before the ring raids catch him. And there's sentries involved in this. And you've just been checking up on the sentry rules. This could be quite intriguing. Uh, yes, as with all these scenarios, they've all got something new or exciting or something a little bit different in. So this one has got sentries in, which isn't something I've played a lot of before and Gildor in who is super rare so very exciting to be able to play him yes yes you've actually spent a lot of time hunting for Gildor on the uh, on the interwebs just specifically for this I'm hoping but uh, either way he's looking glorious with a lovely blue shimmering pale cu- cloak and you've got your hobbits as well already and excited so first of all the, the the mission I actually really like this one there's lots of trees everywhere uh, I like the idea of playing as a ring race uh, roaming through the forest and you're quite keen on Gildor generally what do you think of the scenario? How do you think it's going to pan out? Is it going to be fun, hard, difficult, easy? Yeah, um, uh, potentially quite a lot of randomness in the moving, which is ace. Cause, I mean, at the moment, it looks quite simple. Move Gildor across, get the hobbits off the other side while the ring race wander around looking a bit stupid. But uh, a few dodgy dice rolls here and there, and they'll just be walking right into, uh, into a trap, mm. which is very exciting. So, you know, a little bit of skill, a little bit of luck. Yeah, could be very interesting. I think the thing, as you quite rightly say, this is all going to depend entirely for me on whether I manage to um, 
pull off a, a century roll. Essentially, if I do well on those rolls, um, I could I could have a really fun game smashing up the hobbits, but it could also be incredibly frustrating. So I think it, it, it could be an annoying scenario or it could be really tense and close just depending on that look factor. So, well, let's, let's get cracking. You'll hear from us in a second when we've finished and we can judge. I don't know why. It makes me sad. Right, so the end of the scenario, the shortcuts make long delays. So we've got Gildor, we've got the Hobbits, we've got everything. I've just told you. you it's, it's been seconds, but it's been minutes for us. How long was it? About 40 minutes, 30 minutes, something like that? I don't think it was as long as 40. I'm not really sure. It doesn't feel like it's been particularly long, does it? No, no, it's not very long at all. Now, um, so Frodo has escaped the board, so it's a victory to Tim. Uh, first of all, did, did you enjoy the game? No. Right, it's just straight out no. It wasn't like, maybe not, maybe, but I, I agree actually. Um, I, I, I was playing the ring raids, so I think um, it's designed for the ring raids to lose. I, I think it's probably going to be harder based purely on the sentries. Um, I, I, you, you need to get sixes really for, for them to actually be able to get even close to being within threat range, I would guess, which seems like it's a bit of a it's stacked against you kind of job. Yeah, I mean, the the layout of the board at the beginning makes it pretty obvious where you're going to put the hobbits to get them optimum distance away from the wraiths. And then it's a case of just, well, it, what we've done in this game was I just zoomed Gildor up as quickly as I could, called a heroic march and moved the hobbits away as quickly as it went. I mean, you've only got to rescue throw Frodo. You can afford to chuck everyone else at these wraiths. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know... It was about three turns of the the wraiths just wandering around doing nothing. I suppose if they'd all rolled sixes on the first turn, fair enough. And there was an opportunity for the other ones to get some magic in very, very late on. But, you know, this was really... With the rules for cover, you could you'd have expected a bit more hobbits hiding mm. and sneaking. But in reality, it was just a get-your-foot-down, charge-across-the-board job. Yeah, and, and even the, as you mentioned, the, the, the cover, there's a, the, I mean, the, the map on the, the book uh, shows quite a lot of trees. So we have done that. We've replicated that. There's a lot of terrain on the board. Uh, and I'll post some pictures on the Facebook page. Um, but uh, actually, I, I think they've, they've added a, a rule that means the hobbits have got the stalk unseen rule, which I don't think they really need. I mean, it's already quite um, uh, stacked against the, the ring raids in a sense. I don't know. Again, thematically, makes sense. But um, it, it's a shame because there were a moment, there was a couple of moments that I could have maybe just. It would probably only have lengthened the game um, by just doing a transfix on Frodo, but he was hiding behind trees and stuff, so I couldn't get him. So I think, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. It, it feels it feels frustrating playing as a, 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 a side that you know is probably destined to lose um, and that you don't really have a lot of kind of tactical say in it because I go, well, the first three turns I rolled, I think... Uh, th- I, I only got the three inch moves and sometimes you were doing it sometimes I was doing it and then once I got the six inch but even then I had only one ring wraith against four hobbits uh, and Gildor has got four will to do an immobilize and, and that kind of that's enough to neutralize a, a, a ring wraith really because you either go well I'll s- spend some of my seven will to resist it or I'll be immobilized and that kind of feels like a hard decision to make I mean it felt fairly thematic in the you know there was always a moment where I thought, ah, oh, could I just throw some chaps into a ring wraith and kill one? But realistically, I think it was always designed for a little bit of a get off the board as quickly as possible. Mm. And there would be different ways to, to re replay this. Um, but, you know, it just felt like it relied that little bit too much on the early dice rolls for the centuries rather than any actual yeah. gamesmanship, really, I suppose. You know what I think would make it better? I think it would be much better if it was just the the four hobbits rather than Gildor because Gildor the added value I know you you're shocked you've painted oh, it up specially but and, and obviously it's, this is a book scenario so that's fine but I actually think if you've got the four hobbits a they 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 there's just four the four hobbits so it, for me it's more thematic because it's I, the books uh, aren't as uh, canonical to me it's the films for me that that have brought me into Tolkien's world so so I think that would a make it more thematic for me but also it'd mean that a you wouldn't have the march you wouldn't have the magic to to counter the ring race it might even just just about level the playing field without the march it would have certainly been a closer game because mm-hmm. that really bought me the extra turn and that you can see now another turn we've got the race a lot nearer I wonder whether you could alter it so the um evil player could modify their sentry role 
using will mm. because obviously that you could earlier on raise the alarm and get access earlier but obviously at the cost of you would have to say you know a will if you raise it early then they all lose one will yeah. it would make the rate you know you'd get access to moving them more quickly they'd have less will to cast the spells and different bits and pieces like that because it very much felt like the longer you didn't have control of the race the more inevitable it was i was going to win yeah that makes perfect sense and actually just to contextualize this the uh, the final turn i uh, my ring rate is let me just get the measuring tape out he is just about 13 14 inches away from and this is the this is the one that starts on uh the furthest away edge basically from where you deployed he's about 14 inches away and the other two are pretty much the same so actually if i'd have won the priority in the last turn i might have been able to lengthen it a bit and take a and you know take a, maybe immobilize frodo but he's got a lot of will he's got resistance to magic so it probably wouldn't have even happened it was i think destined to be inevitable so uh, generally i think i like the idea the th- the, the idea of the the scenario is okay Definitely not as fun as Farmer Maggot and his crops. No, which is which is surprising because both of us probably prefer looked like the idea of this one before we played it than we did of the Farmer Maggot one. No, the reason I I preferred the idea of this one was simply because of Gildor. It wasn't anything because of the the brilliance of the scenario or the writing. It was because you know quite a lot of these. Um, scenarios in this book rely on other lesser used models or new models which is exciting for me to see stuff that you don't see day to day um but actually as a game there wasn't really much tactical nuance on my part in this at all totally agree on to the next scenario i have to leave the shire sam and i must get debris Follow me. We start for the uh, Buckleberry Ferry with a giggle uh, uh, after t- Tim has made a, an unusual discovery. So it, obviously this is the the hobbits and the ring raids uh, trying to the hobbits trying to get to the Brandywine River and jumping on Buckleberry Ferry. But you found out something unusual in the rules. No, um, <laughs> obviously uh, to, this is my turn to be the ring raids. And I was just speculating on hilarious it would be for me to pass all my sentry tests, take my ring raids, jump them in the ferry, paddle it off half the way down the other side of the river and just sit and watch as the hobbits attempt to cross (laughs) and all drown, which would be be excellent fun. But I I don't think I'm going to be playing it quite so (laughs) gamey. Well, it does require some uh, specific sentry rolls there. So, well, that that is an interesting one, though. And so we've got, again, the ring raids are being sentry. So you've deployed them in a relatively close to the uh, Brandywine uh, River and the, uh, the the Buckleberry Ferry so but they could end up wandering off a bit further afield my guys just basically strolling as far as they can it's the same sort of setup three ring raids with seven will but this time I do have the four hobbits so after crying for the uh, uh, the previous scenario to have the four hobbits i might regret that this time but it, it could all I, I guess it could I'm, I'm excited about this one to be honest I like the theme I like the the moment it's less book it's more film which i like um so i'm i'm keen on this i was quite looking forward to this one um whether it'll end up being as fun uh, as i hope it will be i don't know again the centuries could play a big deal in that yeah um in my sort of rundown of which ones i was looking forward to play out the early ones i've not scored this one particularly high um but reading through and actually paying a bit more attention perhaps it might be a bit more mm. fun um, than i expected but yeah it's cool it's got a river it's got water it's got a mechanic that i suppose we don't use all the deep water is not something that crops up a lot in the games I play. So, yeah, brilliant. Let's see if I can get some um, hobbits drowning, knock them off the boat, see if we can do a few more of the things that maybe we don't see in day-to-day play. It'd be nice to see you compel some hobbits into the river and see them drown. Well, I say nice. I don't really want that to do. Anyway, uh, and also just for your your amusement, uh, with everyone uh, doing sort of random uh, scenarios with terrain that perhaps they don't have, we've got a nice blue scarf laid out as the Brandywine River because that's what it's all about, hobbying and having a bit of fun and being a bit more creative. So that's what we're doing. We've got the Buckleberry Ferry all ready to go. Let's crack on with the game. How far to the nearest crossing? The Brandywine Bridge. Twenty miles. Uh, Okay, so we've just finished. 
Um, and actually, you can tell probably from the tone of my voice that I've enjoyed this game a lot more than the previous one. Despite having lost in the end, I was the Hobbits, the four Hobbits, um, escaping to Buckleberry Ferry and got fairly close but didn't win. Frodo has been slain and taken by the ringmates. First of all, Tim, did you enjoy that one? Yes. Yes. Um, I've never played with Ring Race before, so it was nice to have a go with them. I've always considered them fairly rubbish at casting. You know, overall, they're not particularly sort of combat casters, and I don't think I've ever really used them in combat either. And this time, they've done some pretty good spells, and they've sliced um, Frodo to small pieces. So, you know, brilliant on both counts. And not just Frodo. You can manage to kill Frodo... Merry and Pippin. Sam has remained resilient, but uh, without, uh, yeah, he's kind of on his own now against three ring raids. You are down to three will on all of them now, I think. No, three will, two will, and four will. So I've used half my will. Yeah, so it's a good good amount of will gone. And I think crucially with this one, the deployment makes a massive difference. So so with this one, you can put the ring raids all in a block in between the ferry and the um the hobbits so there's there's a kind of a three inch strip along the whole of the path uh, whole of the board there's a six inch strip along the board that the hobbits deploy in which and they have to pass through the the ring raids deployment area in order to get to the buckleberry ferry this the sentry did make a little bit of a difference at the start it spread you out a little bit wider because you uh, did some bad rolls but then once because of where you deployed and where I set up my guys, that was kind of uh, it was inevitable that the sentry was the the alarm was going to be raised quicker, which I think made it more interesting generally. Yeah, this one had a lot more opportunity for things to go wrong for both sides and different things. I mean, I, I think I was hoping that the hobbits would get to the ferry and I'd be blasting black darts in like a last ditch attempt to stop them escaping, but you know we're back to the standard stats for Merry and Pippin and they're just junk really can't I mean they, are, they there's no other ways of saying it they're complete rubbish um and once they there was like three combats in this game or maybe four certainly three and in each combat Hobbit died or mm. took a wound so you know there was no opportunity to gang up on a wraith um and those two little Hobbits did absolutely nothing in the entire game and and you know you got swamped in the end so what can you do yeah, that's the thing. I lost a Hobbit first turn. Uh, Pippin failed, or first turn they connected anyway. I failed a, a fate roll. I failed another. Actually, I did. I think I failed all my fate rolls. No, yeah, I did. I failed. Yes. All, I did fail all my fate rolls, which uh, might explain uh, some of my uh, the, the deaths. But either way, it didn't matter because I felt like I was on the move. I was getting closer, and actually, if things had gone slightly different, say if Frodo had passed his last fate roll, I got on a two, I'd run out of might. Um, you'd have been down to a dangerously low amount of will, so you'd have been less magic. And actually, it could have could have gone the other way, which which feels like the the, the crucial thing here. There's a balance there that it's crossed. It, I think the previous scenario crossed into a, a realm where it was too hard for the ringmates to do it. This one, it feels like it it could have definitely gone either way, no matter what happened. Absolutely, definitely, the ability to plonk those ringmates right in the middle to just say, you know, there's your shortest route gone. You know, you've got little hobbit legs. You're not going to get there any other way. I felt from sort of the hobbit point of view you know you've got some alternative options you can if you see a wraith on its own and you've got the ability to you know charge them and get like a trap three on one trap and really sort of hurt a wraith early on then then brilliant but as soon as you can get one of those three to see a hobbit raise the alarm it was pretty inevitable that they were going to be collapsed on and and it's a really easy position to defend for the wraiths yeah yeah that's true i mean mean, obviously i could have tried to run the hobbits and swim through the river so i could have deployed differently and just Mm. completely ignored you you put them in the middle i could have gone from one side or the other but realistically if i really i'm I'm not going to want to try and swim the river because i'll die (laughs) probably i assume uh it's certainly not uh, in my favor so and and also i want to go for the ferry i want to be able to use the little jetty we've set up here and i want to do what what happens and and it doesn't feel beyond the realm of possibility that that could have happened. No, I mean, if we went back to the combats, we had like four combats. Um, had they gone the Hobbit's way, it would almost certainly have taken one or two of those rates to zero. Mm. You know, with another spell, another round of combat, they would be vaporizing anyway. Yep. You know, it was it was more down to a couple of dice rolls in the combat that decided this. It felt a lot more on a knife edge than the earlier game. And I think that always makes for a much better game. So now, on to, uh, on to the next one, which is the Old Forest. What's making that noise? It's the trees. What? Do you remember the Old Forest? On the borders of Buckland. 
the Old Forest, uh, possibly the most unusual one uh, that we're going to play in this uh, this podcast. It's there's, there's just the hobbits, and they're escaping through the Old Forest, and the trees are alive. Uh, so they're moving around. There's a, literally a profile for the trees. They can they, well, they move six inches. They're strength three, defense three. They've got fight value two. So uh, this is an odd one um, in lots of different ways, Tim. Um, I'm not quite sure what I think of this. It's weird and different. I, I, I'm not. I wasn't that excited to play it before uh, uh, before today. But strangely, now now we've set it up. It's on a two foot by two foot board, so it's a little different. I'm I'm kind of intrigued. Yeah, um, I'm looking at this ahead of today. I sort of scored this as my least interesting of the seven. Um, Let's see whether that bears itself out or not. It's quite interesting. I'm looking forward to being a tree rather than a hobbit. Uh, let's see how it works, I suppose. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's nice to do something a bit different. Yeah, exactly. So so just for context, if you haven't got the book to hand reading along with the podcast, as I know you do, uh, basically the you, the evil player, the uh, which will be Tim, uh, will roll a dice and he'll get to move six trees. So it's very... Oh, sorry, D6 trees. D6 trees. Um, so essentially... We've got quite a densely packed little patch of forests. Uh, it looks quite cool, um, but it could... And then the forest it attacks the hobbits. It doesn't kill them, it knocks them unconscious. So it has the potential to last a long time if the trees keep knocking people out and they just wake up again. So uh, that's that's the only thing. And the job is Frodo and the hobbits have to escape 24 inches to the other side, and that's kind of it. Yeah, this could pan out in a whole variety of ways. I'm I'm seeing sort of like a, a big line of trees going from one side to the other just sort of being like the you know the immovable object but yeah because they move they, they can't be killed so they just move an inch back so but then it, it depends how many how good your rolls are so it could go any of uh, many different ways let's uh, let's crack on with the game and we'll be back in a second with our review what's happening Final, uh, so there we go, that was it, that was the old forest, the, the final turn, all the hobbits have been knocked unconscious, rendering uh, the scenario as a win to the evil trees. Um, what did you think of that scenario, Tim? Um, I thought that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really weird, and there are so many things in this scenario that, that are kind of, it's just gonna, it provides lots of issues, because... First of all, our trees aren't on bases, so the tiny little trees on bases, and a lot of people won't have trees on 25 mil bases or 40 mil bases. They'll have them on a big block of terrain as well. So it's going to be quite hard for most people to do this scenario generally. And if you do have the trees separate, they'll fall over. We had loads of trees rolling around the table. It's not sure. It's not clear how many trees we should have either. So uh, there's lots of issues there. And then just the fact that you can't kill a tree means that it's basically really hard for the trees to not be blocking the hobbit's way throughout the whole game. No, so on a two-by-two two board, we've got here, I don't know if you've got a picture, but we will have a picture. There's 40 trees here, approximately. Yeah, I think we're about, about, down by about five, but yeah. So a lot of trees. So you've got potentially four hobbits who can all move once, obviously, 40 trees. And and they just you know surround the hobbits. They didn't really they didn't really have a chance. And I can't see apart from some appalling rolls from the trees, the trees. Yeah. <laughs> how they you know how the hobbits would really stand much of a chance. Whether we've just interpreted it wrong in how we've placed these trees. Whether we should have had you know clusters of trees being a tree. So you've got maybe sort of eight trees against four hobbits. Mm. We've got here potentially a lot of trees. And I just sort of move the trees in a big defensive line that you can't really get through. Yeah, I think if you're going to play this one, um, n- proceed with caution, first of all. Secondly, I think you're right. Um, six or maybe, yeah, like you say, maybe eight or even ten clumps of tree which can move. Or mm. ten, so maybe as a monster base or something like that, monster-sized base. So you're looking at eight troll-sized uh, or, or, you know, Mordor troll-sized models that can move around that are trees. That might work. But then you might not have enough when you get a roll of six. Is it going to matter? But then... Yeah, I think I think that would work better. But the way the, the the map looks, it shows 
it shows this this whole kind of terrain and i mean if you wanted to count them you could you could probably see that there's there's like there's 30 or 40 trees there i don't know whether this is just an artist's impression of what it looked like and whether the the rules writers specifically told them to have this many trees on the picture but either way if i'm honest I don't think it's worth you trying and playing this this scenario multiple times to work out exactly how many trees are because it's it was a little frustrating because you just I just felt like oh well I, I, my hobbits can't really do much here other than back your trees away. No, and with the paralysed hobbits needing that six, there was never any situation where a hobbit could help out another hobbit, and you know it was it was it was a grind really, and I think that by about halfway through it we felt it was going to be a grind. And I don't know about you, but I was just sort of waiting for it to be over, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a long game, but it wasn't a very interesting game either. We did fairly get a fair way through the board, but ultimately, like you say, because of the mechanics of the hobbits, um, once the trees have wounded them completely, they're paralysed. As you say, Tim, that they need a six to get back up. It's it's a bit of a grind. I would say avoid. How about you? Yeah, I can't, looking at it sort of now, having done it, I can't think of any really cunning hobbit plan that could have made it work any other way apart from run as fast as possible, hope the tree person doesn't roll some good dice and potentially call a heroic move every single turn just to to move as quickly as you can. There was no splitting up, hiding, throwing stones. I I don't think they used anything that had classes like an interesting plan. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could play it in a different way. Agreed. There's a, there's, there's a scenario to be had in the old forest with the old man Willow, but this was not it. Away with you. You should not be waking. Each earth dig deep. Drink water. Go to sleep. Away with you. So, we're on the Fog on the Barrow Downs, which will be the last one, which I'm really glad to have reached, because this uh, it was definitely my uh, number one, really. This is one I was looking forward to the most. And I've see, I see on the, the list this was the, high, the highest-ranked one for you as well. So this, we've got high expectations for this scenario. What, what is it about it that you, you're interested in most, Tim? Um, I'm interested in Goldbury being on the table. I've never wanted to roll a natural six any more than playing this game and also the paralyzed hobbit models we're bringing out all the hobby toys for this and it would be sad not to get them all on the on the field yeah yeah I th- this is one of the ones that as you quite rightly say there's a lot of models here that aren't often used even bombadil is banned often in tournaments for some ungodly reason uh, he is pretty ungodly to be fair and um, and like you say the the, the paralyzed mob, uh, hobbits which i actually use as objective markers quite a lot so i do see them but you're right i've never ever seen goldberry on the table so uh, maybe we might even tweak it so that we get a six <laughs> maybe we'll put them down to a five we'll see but and um, as a game i have played this or i've played a version of this many many moons ago this must have been two three at least years ago and I do remember enjoying it I don't remember anything else about it I can't even remember whether I was good or evil so the general gist if you don't understand it is there's four barrows kind of in the uh, each corner of the field a barrow white is deployed base contact with each of them hobbits are roughly in the middle um, they have to escape off the eastern board edge and um, there are a few special rules like there's fog so the hobbits on a roll of a one I move them um, there are some other things that they can't see beyond six inches so they can't really throw stones at the barrow whites I guess um, and when does Tom Bombadil appear? Um, Tom Bombadil appears if the hobbits can see a barrow white and roll a five or six on a t6 when they shout for him Excellent. And I have to drag two hobbits minimum, or just one being Frodo, into a barrow, sacrificing them. So actually, it's, I think it's going to be quite difficult for me, because that requires a lot of different things to happen for me to do it, but not to get beyond the realms of possibility, especially if I target two crappy hobbits. No, these are a lot of models that I haven't played with or against before. So rashly charging into a barrow right, I couldn't even tell you what a barrow right stats are, um, don't tell me until I've rashly charged into them. But, you know, this could see a lot of situations that are just a case of, I have no idea what I'm doing here. So, uh, yeah, interesting play mechanics. And I think this one, it lends itself to a lot of different, you know, you can have a go at this a lot of times because there are so few models. If you haven't got the models, just use a base with a bit of uh, a bit of something on the top for yeah, a or spectres for the barrow whites the hobbits most people have like you say absolutely fine right let's crack on and i'm going to exploit tim's inexperience of barrow whites 
There we go, Fog on the Barrow Downs, the final scenario. We've just finished playing, and what a, what a treat that was, I must say. I, I, I really enjoyed that, Tim. What, what about yourself? I think it's going to be hard to say how much I enjoyed it without introducing some level of spoilers to it. But, <laughs> but needless to say, uh, all the expectations um, you know, came true, didn't they? There was a bit of Tom Bombadil's falalaring, Goldberry nipped in at the very end to do absolutely nothing apart from be on the board. There was paralysed hobbits. There was almost sacrificed hobbits. Yeah, yeah, it was really good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was great. And like you say, but <laughs> Goldberry turned up on the roll of a six on the penultimate turn, uh, and we both cheered in delight uh, as you as you expect to do. And she actually turned up. So it's official. We've used Goldberry in a game of uh, SBG, and uh, yeah, she didn't do anything, but that's fine. And actually, as a game, I think it worked quite well. I think maybe this is because this is an old scenario that might have been tweaked or slightly improved uh, or changed a little bit. Maybe maybe not at all, but it's a it's a playtest one that's maybe been changed so I think it's it works really well um generally the the, the four barrow system works good I like the three point of will to cast magic we got a few times where I think probably three uh four maybe four times the hobbits were paralyzed twice they got back up and then at the end uh, or three times in the end they got back up but nearly sacrificed one hobbit very close if I'd got a four on the last turn I would have got a sacrificed hobbit but other than that it all went quite it all went quite canonically if that's a word yeah and as well it seemed like out of the five we've played today this is one i would replay more times it's got more ways of playing it mm. um obviously we had tom bombadil appeared right at the very beginning which yeah. maybe swayed it a little bit well, but i think it was what two three turns in certainly early enough to have a big impact because he did just zap them didn't he, he just... yeah yeah i mean once i'd because I, I i was spending will to resist and obviously after they've spent the will they're pretty crap i mean they, they get the free one near the barrow but um mm. they're not very good in combat because they're wounding against courage um and the hobbits are generally pretty good courage so i'm either wounding on fives or sixes generally so that that wasn't ideal but actually, um, the, the magic went well. I thought it did some good stuff there. Yeah, maybe if Bombadil had taken a couple of extra turns to come on, um, it might have been a bit bit closer. But generally, it, it, it wasn't too... It, I didn't feel like I was fighting an uphill battle and, and obviously neither, neither do you. You won it. So. No, I, I think it's designed, isn't it, for the Barrow Whites to be the underdogs. You know, I think if you played it four or five times and the Barrow Whites won once, that would be a fairly reasonable mm. outcome, I think. So. Yeah, and, and I'm not quite sure on the strategy that you need to employ to win as a Barrow White, but um, the, the deployment's slightly unusual because the Hobbits are allowed to deploy within a 12-inch area from the middle. And, and I can see you deployed directly in the middle line, and I could see the potential that if you'd stay a bit further back, um, then you'd, B- B- Bombadil would join them quicker and therefore able to refresh them and so on quicker. But um, it makes sense to be deploying on the middle line. So I moved my two Barrow Whites from the uh, furthest away Barrows closer in, and we kind of tried to uh, target things. But it's hard to know what to target, really, because I think actually having the dual um, success... Uh, way, ways of winning the two two different ways of winning for the Barrow Whites i.e. two Hobbits sacrificed or Frodo sacrificed actually makes it very difficult to decide what to do if I'd have just been given two to sacrifice I'd just go straight for the uh, Merry and Pippin it'd be easy or just Frodo again you could target your magic a bit better so it split it up in a bit, bit of a different way so I think if you were going into it um, for, for a strategic standpoint from the Barrow Whites point of view choosing your target and sticking with it probably a good idea I think the very fact that we're having a discussion about alternate tactics to play this game again in the future versus the tree game just shows that this was a much more enjoyable scenario to play from both sides than than that one was. Um, yeah, and I'm pleased we rushed through the tree one to play this one at the end. That that makes uh, yeah, that's a really good point, and it, it, it completely. And this is what actually this is what I like about SBG is when there are games when you've got as few models as literally four on each side plus the extra two for Goldberry and Bombadil. But that makes a big difference that those four models have so many different ways of playing the game. I could have played really defensive and stayed around the barrows, but then that. Obviously, you'd just be able to run through. There was lo- there's lots of different stuff that you could do, and it was really fun. The dynamic worked because it's it you were never having to roll sixes really like the, it was often four pluses and defending against magic and things like that and that makes it doable all, all of it it just worked much better as a game the fact that the the barrow whites if they did paralyze them could run away with a paralyzed hobbit so much quicker than a hobbit can catch up the short effective range of bombadil it took him plenty of turns to get to be the point he was useful and you know 
there are so many ways this could have panned out differently yeah. and that's the fun the replay value is that there are so many ways it could pan out um I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So, I mean, I, I think maybe it's just because we're building up to it. We, it's the final one: Goldberry, Tom Bombadil, The Hobbits, as you mentioned. But out of the, the scenarios we've we've talked through, what was your favourite scenario of the of the day? Uh, this one. Yeah, yeah, definitely by 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 a long shot. I think it, it panned out fairly similar to what I was expecting. To be honest, the ones that I looked at before today. Um, but yeah, this one was ace. Normally when we're playing sort of competitive games, we're looking to put a lot more terrain on boards and things like that. This has worked well with a 4x4 four four board with essentially four hills on it. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no terrain really. It doesn't advise any terrain other than trees at the edge and maybe it looks like a scattering of rocks. But you don't need it and it doesn't, doesn't matter. I agree. This is the best one. I would actually say the close second though was Farmer Maggot's Crop, which I was really surprised by. It's the first one in the book and um, it looks rubbish. It looks silly. But again, I think there's replay value in that because there are different strategies you can use. So same sort of thing. Would that, would, second for you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if we'd have started this with the first game being the tree ones, I'd have thought, oh, crumbs, this could be a, a fairly long slog. But yeah, I mean, it's it's nice. All the games have been different. There's been a mix in each one. A bit more casting than I suppose we're really used to. Um, and it's nice to see the hobbits in, in the, the Farmer Maggots one being buffed so they were more usable yeah great it's it's been really enjoyable and i do really like playing you know narrative games so yeah it's been a great i'll see you in breed him <laughs> it'll give us time to get uh, the new um forge world characters painted i suppose absolutely all right well thanks very much for for playing along tim it's been a pleasure playing through some scenarios that's it for now that's it for the the podcast thank you very much again to tim uh, for playing along throughout the whole episode and and casting his critical eye over some of the quest of the ring bearer scenarios um I want I want to know your opinion and um, please do get in touch uh, because I obviously have just played through these scenarios once uh, only the first few of course and the first five I think it was I can't, about five yeah five um so I've played through five scenarios once each but I actually kind of want to know your general opinions as well. Have you played any of these scenarios these first five scenarios? What did you think as well? Um We've got a hive mind here. I know people have been commenting left, right and centre all over the Facebook uh, groups and things like that about what they think of them. And I know um, people like Zorpa Zorp and Damien and Steve and so on have all been uh, casting their eyes of it. I know that I haven't listened to them yet, forgive me, but the uh, the frying pan guys out the frying pan guys have also been looking into some of these scenarios as well. But um, all of those are kind of disparate, different uh, opinions. I'd really like to know what you think about um, any of these five scenarios if you've played them. Have you played Farmer Maggot? Have you played Fog and the Barrow Downs? Have you played The Old Forest? Oh, apologies if you have. Um, let me know. I really want to know. Um, get in touch with the podcast, entmootpodcast at gmail.com. I really want to have a roundup of some of your opinions next time. Um, hey, if, if you want, send me a, a, an audio recording of what you think. Um, if, if you want, feel free. I'd love to, I'd love to have your uh, critical analysis um, sent in if you want. That'd be brilliant. Um, let me know what you think, entmootpodcast at gmail.com for all of your uh, critical analysis of the Quest of the Ring Bearer scenarios, the first five. Um, Tim and I will return at some point. Uh, we hope to play the rest of the scenarios. I will be painting up Harry Goatleaf and Barlaman Butterbur to join the quest uh, as it goes ahead and we'll probably play our way up to Moria at some point um, and then, of course, carry on going through the, the book. <laughs> but, of course, these things are all very odd. They take a long time to do. Um... It's just arranging it. Actually, it was it was relatively easy to get these things, but it's just finding the time to do a whole day of this kind of gaming. So it was good. And of course, at the moment, what with um, lockdowns and tears and various different things, uh, it's all changing. So um, uh, if you're not aware, the UK, England is going into a lockdown and so things are changing again. So it might, uh, won't be able to get Tim back in the building to do another set of scenarios but he he will return and um, podcasting will return again I will make sure I release another one um, before the end of November so um, thanks very much for listening to this one Um, do keep an eye out from the Battle Games in Middle Earth YouTube channel Um, I can't remember whether I'd done it by the previous one but I did an interview with um, the Perry twins Alan and Michael Perry famous for having sculpted many many Lord of the Rings models uh, and also lots of Warhammer Fantasy and things like that but 
uh, and also now Perry miniatures, lots of historical miniatures. Fantastic, really, really interesting people. Um, really a great chat with both of them about the the world of Warhammer, the world of sculpting, and particularly the various experiences they have uh, have had making Lord of the Rings miniatures and meeting people like Peter Jackson and all that sort of stuff. So feel free to go ahead over to the YouTube channel and watch that. Uh, just search Battle Games in Middle Earth, probably perry twins hopefully will do the job as well and you should be able to find it um and that's it um feel free to support the channel um patreon.com slash battle games in middle earth if you don't know what patreon is um just search for it patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n and you can support it you can support what i do here you can encourage me to do more stuff uh, and you can be entered into a draw to win toys it's gonna be good we're gonna do another draw in the next couple of weeks of some forge world gubbins very exciting uh maybe maybe even depending on when they released some new bats that would be good wouldn't it so uh let's let's uh, join in that and you get in, you in, entered immediately into a draw um but yeah please do get in touch about the scenarios entmootpodcast at gmail.com i'd love to read you out uh, give you a mention give you a shout out all that sort of stuff uh, and of course while you're doing it why not have a go at riddle in the dark last week uh, last episode we didn't have any successes this time it'd be great to have them so until next time thanks very much for listening Boo-ra-ra. Boo-ra-ra.